like to welcome everybody to your Sunday night 5 o'clock appointment. We do have an appointment to keep with God, don't we? We have an appointment and it's the most important appointment of our week. And so again, I'd like to welcome everybody to your 5 o'clock Sunday appointment with the great King of Kings. With the Lord of Lords, with the great and all-powerful Heavenly Father, your Creator, your Friend, your Redeemer. Your appointment tonight is with Him who is worthy of all glory, all honor, all praise, all reverence, all respect, all devotion, worship, and adoration. That is who your appointment is with tonight. Your appointment is with Him who is worthy of your total self-sacrifice for His grateful children, which we are. Have you ever stopped to consider the incredible amount of preparation that was required for a person to appear in the court and presence of just some feeble, sinful, mortal human king? Open your Bibles with me tonight to the book of Daniel, chapter 1. Would you please? Daniel, chapter 1. Have you ever considered the incredible amount of preparation required for a person to appear in the court and presence of just some mortal human earthly king in the scriptures? In Daniel chapter 1, we would begin in verse 3. It says, Then the king instructed Ashpenaz, the master of his eunuchs, to bring some of the children of Israel and some of the king's descendants and some of the nobles, young men in whom there was no blemish, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, and whom they might teach the language and literature of the Chaldeans. These were young men who were smart. They were good-looking. They were intelligent. They were the cream of the crop already. They had all of these things going for them. In verse 5, the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank, and three years of training for them, so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Three years before they could enter into the presence and serve this human mortal king. And they were already gifted and talented. I'm not going to turn there, but according to Esther, chapter 2 and verse 7, Esther, it says, was already lovely and beautiful. But it still took, according to the scriptures, 12 months. She was beautiful and lovely, but it still took 12 months, a year, of preparation and beautification, quote, according to the regulations for the women, six months with oil and myrrh, and six months with perfumes and preparations for beautifying women, unquote, Esther 2.12, it still took that before she could even enter into the presence of this human, pagan, mortal man and king Ahasuerus. And as we know, it was against the law to go and to seek an audience with him, and she could be killed for it if he hadn't summoned her, even after all that preparation, and even after knowing the king. If he didn't summon you, 
It could be over like that. Esther 4, verses 16 through chapter 5 and verse 2. And now, I want you to consider how much more preparation, how much more worthy of honor and preparation is the king of glory. In Exodus, the 19th chapter, God tells how the Israelite people are going to be, listen to this, a special treasure in a kingdom of priests and a holy nation in Exodus 19 verses 5 and 6. They're going to be a special treasure, holy nation, kingdom of priests. He tells in verses 10 and 11 of Exodus 19 how they must consecrate themselves for two days and must wash their clothes before he could come anywhere near them. But even then, after two days of, of that, even after they washed and all they could do, they were not clean enough, they were not holy enough, and they were not righteous enough for him in his holiness to come into their presence. Verses 12 through 24. Consider with me, if you would, turning to Exodus 28. I want to show you this. Exodus chapter 28. Speaking of preparation, before that you could go in and serve as a priest before the king. Note the intricate and intimate detail commanded by God. In Exodus 28 verse 1 and following it says, Now take Aaron your brother and his sons with him from among the children of Israel that he may minister to me as priest. Are we all priests today? In Christ we are priests. But look what these priests had to go through. Aaron and Aaron's sons, Nadab, Abihu, Eliezer, and Ithamar. And you shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother, for glory and for beauty. So you shall speak to all who are gifted artisans, whom I have filled with the spirit of wisdom, that they may make Aaron's garments to consecrate him, that he may minister to me as priest. God said, I get these, these people, I've given special talents to work on this outfit that he's got to wear before he can come into my presence. Verse 4, And these are the garments which they shall make, a breastplate, an ephod, a robe, a skillfully woven tunic, a turban, and a sash. So they shall make holy garments for Aaron your brother and his sons. Why? That he may minister to me as priest. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread in the fine linen. God tells them right down to the color of the thread that these garments must be made of. They shall take the gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and the fine linen, and they shall make the ephod of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen artistically worked. Not just anything, it had to be linen. It had to be artistically worked by these people. It had to have this color thread. And it shall have two shoulder straps joined at its two edges, and so it shall be joined together. And the intricately woven band of the ephod which is on it shall be of the same workmanship made of gold, blue, purple, and scarlet thread and fine woven linen. They could not deviate. They couldn't use green. Then you shall take two onyx stones and engrave on them the names of the sons of Israel, six of their names on one stone, six names on the other stone, in order of their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like the engravings of a signet, you'll engrave the two stones with the names of the sons of Israel. You'll set them in settings of gold. You'll put the two stones on the shoulders of the ephod as memorial stones for the sons of Israel. 
Notice he even told them where to put them. So Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord on his two shoulders as a memorial. You'll also make settings of gold. And you'll make two chains of pure gold like braided cords and fasten the braided chains to the settings. And on 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 it goes. Every little detail. If we were to continue reading verses 15 through 21, we would see the breastplate. How it had to be worked right down to the color of the thread the size, the fabric, and the stone settings. And as to those stone settings, it describes the precise number of rows and the exact arrangement of the stones in those rows. This was incredible. If we were to read verses 22 through 28, which I won't because of time, but we would see the exact elaborate and minute details and specifications for these braided golden chains. And if we read verses 22 through 28, we would see that there's actually details for precisely how to fasten them. It's not like buttoning a button on the cuff of your shirt. I mean, there was exact details. More instructions follow in verses 29 through 39. And finally, look with me in chapter 28 at verses 40 through 43 as we wrap up that chapter. He says, For Aaron's sons you shall make tunics, and you'll make sashes for them, and you shall make hats for them for glory and for beauty. God wanted these people to come before him in these most glorious, intricately worked, faith-built robes. And I say faith-built because they had to follow these specifications to the letter. And that showed their faith and trust in God. He goes on to say, verse 41, So you shall put them on Aaron your brother and on his sons with him. You shall anoint them, consecrate them, and sanctify them, that they may minister to me as priests. You notice he said you've got to do three things. And I'm not going into great detail, but these three things had to be done as well as the clothing. He said, you've got to do these. And, verse 42, you shall make for them linen trousers to cover their nakedness. They shall reach from the waist to the thighs. They shall be on Aaron and on his sons when they come into the tabernacle of meeting or when they come near the altar to minister in a holy place that they do not incur, incur iniquity and die. It will be a statute forever, a statute forever to him and his descendants after him. But those preparations to come before God, before you could even come, they continue in the next few chapters. Look at me in chapter 29, verses 4 through 9. And Aaron and his sons you'll bring to the door of the tabernacle of meeting and wash them with water on top of everything else. Then you'll take the garments, put the tunic on Aaron, the robe of the ephod, the ephod, the breastplate, and gird him with the intricately woven band of the ephod. You'll put the turban on his head, put the holy crown on the turban, take the anointing oil, pour it on his head, anoint him. Then you'll bring his sons and put tunics on them, gird them with sashes, Aaron and his sons, put the hats on them. The priesthood shall be theirs as a perpetual statute, so you shall consecrate Aaron and his sons. But you could read on in this chapter and you'd find out other things too. God demanded, demanded, that this is how they come to present themselves before him as his priests. We could read verses 29 through 37 and we could get even more detail. All of this that I have read since I've been up here and we have barely scratched the surface of what we could cover regarding the necessary preparations that God required before one could even enter into his presence and serve him as a priest. Exodus chapter 39, chapter 40, and others we could read, but we won't. The point has been made. And the point is this.
entering into the presence of the Lord God Almighty as one of his priests for worship and service was not and is not something to be taken lightly, lazily, half-heartedly, or haphazardly. Ask Nadab and Abihu about that. Entering into the presence of God is not something to be entered into irreverently, disrespectfully, or without the proper preparation for being and serving in the presence of the Holy and Almighty, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. I think sometimes when we come to worship, we lose sight of just how reverent we need to be before God. Fast forward to today in the culture that we live in, in the society that we live in. It could very easily and truthfully be said, we live in a pretty lazy, casual, and lackadaisical culture. A lackadaisical culture wherein there is a lack of respect and reverence and commitment that has become epidemic. We have become so lazy in our society. Sounds like one of those old jokes. How lazy have we become? You know, it's one of those deals. I'll tell you how lazy we've become. We have become so lazy that instead of reaching out to snap on a light switch when we walk by it, we now tell a computer to do it for us. That's how lazy we've become. Instead of taking out a pen and writing down what we need on the grocery list, we just tell a computer to do it for us. Now there's nothing wrong with that, but I fear that that laxity in the physical world has also found its way into the spiritual world in some respects, has it not? Think about it. We live in a world where all we have to do is say something and we expect it to happen, but we don't have to do it. Does that not happen a lot in the church? Think about it. We could talk about evangelism, we could talk about a lot of different things, but a lot of things that the church seeks to do, we figure, well, that's not my job. That's somebody else's responsibility. Let them do it. Today, we have become so casual and lackadaisical as a society that people, <laughs> telling you, people now routinely go out in public in their pajamas, don't they? If you don't think so, go down to the Walmart parking lot, sit there for 20 minutes, guarantee you'll know exactly what I'm talking about. Not only do people routinely go out in public in their pajamas, even worse, sometimes people go out in public in what really isn't much more than their underwear. Again, may I suggest a Walmart parking lot stop of about 30 minutes, and all of this will be very, very easily cleared up. Today's people's constant lack of respect and commitment and laziness can be seen in their continual severing of their relationships with God, with their family, and with the congregation that they're a part of. All of which just get tossed away in our society today at the first sign of discomfort or disagreement. How many people do you know that have left the church because it just got a little uncomfortable? Well, I'll just go find some other place. I mean, don't ask me to do anything. Don't ask me to repent. Don't ask me to change. Don't ask me to obey God. Hey, I don't like it there. I'll just go somewhere else. Isn't that where we've gotten to? 
And don't people do that with friendships and family relationships? They just throw God away. It's like, eh, I don't need to do that. I, you know, whatever. No, I'm not going to put in the work and effort to change for God. That's, that's where we've come to. For a sign of discomfort, disagreement, we just toss it away. And you know what lies at the root of today's epidemic of this whole thing? It's a lack of respect. A total and complete lack of respect for anyone or anything, including ourselves. Now, before you shut me out, really listen and give this some thought. It's okay to disagree with me, but disagree with me after you hear me out. Do we not live in a land and a time where there is a lack of respect for human life? A lack of respect for the laws of the land? A lack of respect for those in high office? Do we not live in that land and time? Do we not live in a land and a time where there is a fatal disrespect for political leaders, church leaders, and parental and family leaders in a lot of places? We live in a culture where there is a lack of respect for any and all authority and those in it. As well as even, in a lot of cases, a disrespect for ourselves as individuals. If you don't believe that, and I'm just going to be blunt, if you don't believe that, if you don't believe that we have a total disrespect in a lot of people's minds today, if they don't have a total disrespect for themselves, once again, go sit in a Walmart parking lot for 20 minutes. Or you go to the restaurant where Karen and I went in Tulsa last week. <laughs> we'll talk about that later when I'm not recording. When you have young ladies who are walking around with holes the size of softballs in places there should not be holes in their jeans, those women have no respect for themselves. That's just the way it is. They have no respect whatsoever for themselves. When it is so tight that it looks like it's sprayed on, when it is so short that it's that short, when it is so revealing that you're seeing things that only a spouse should see, the woman who would advertise herself with no more dignity or self-respect than that, sort of like walking into the meat department in Walmart, you see all the meat laid out with the cellophane, you know, and there's only a tag on it about that big that tells you what you know, the ingredients are. That's the way some women dress today. And the women who dress like that have no self-respect. Because if they did, they wouldn't be advertising themselves to total strangers in that way. That shows a lack of respect for her reputation, for her family, for her body, and the God who gave all of that to her. And so I asked this question, getting back sort of to our topic that we began with. And it's a question you're going to have to answer in your own mind. I just pose the question. Is it possible that some semblance of the world's lack of respect for God, for authority, and for self 
may be slowly sleeping, seeping and creeping and making its way into the Lord's church as well. Does not our culture sometimes seep into the church if we are not watching for it? Have some in the church today bought into some semblance of the world's casual standard of dress even when approaching and coming into the very presence of Almighty God to worship and to serve? You know, many of you probably remember a time when worldly musicians and entertainers, you can remember back when entertainers and, and musicians, they wore suits. Remember that? How many of you remember that? Anybody remember that? Okay. They wore suits. They were nicely dressed. The women wore beautiful outfits that were modest. And the men wore dress clothes or suits, perhaps out of respect and gratitude for the positions of influence or the visibility they held. Do you know that that also paralleled a time in the church where the words Sunday best were a household phrase and just the expected norm? How many of you remember, ta ta how many of you remember a time when the term Sunday best meant something? That's no coincidence that that was also a time, hear me closely, that's also a time wherein people's overall commitment, reverence, respect, and appreciation for God and His Holy Word was also at a much higher level than it is today. But not anymore. Today, a lot of the stars that people idolize, you see them on TV, they live and look and dress like bums. That's what we used to call bums. Remember the term bums? <laughs> Some of these, you know, I, I, I look at... Occasionally, I mean, I'll, I'll see an ad on TV and I'll see some of these guys and, and they're coming out to sing in their t-shirts or their muscle shirts and, and a pair of jeans. And there, there was a day when that would have been, they wouldn't have been out there again. Say, sound like your father. Well, maybe I do, but so be it. I hope my heavenly one. <laughs> what I'm trying to get across here is a point. The key phrase today in the world is casual. Totally casual. Totally casual. It is that same casual attire and the attitude which accompanies it, which I ask you, is some of that creeping into the Lord's church as well? Do some people today in the church worldwide, in America where they have a choice, more specifically, do they, some people today, come to worship in the same casual dress in which they'd go fishing, go to a ball game or go out to their garage to work underneath a car. Do some people come to church dressed like that today? And here's why I ask. Because coming before God for worship in the presence of that same God who demanded so much just on the outside in the Old Testament, coming before Him into His presence should be a much different experience than that and therefore reflected in the way we prepare. Should we prepare to come to worship or just show up for church? God has always demanded, has He not? Listen, 
Has not God always demanded the absolute best and finest from His people? Has He or not? Yes, He has. You know why? You know why God has a right to demand the absolute best that we have to give Him in every facet of our lives? You know why He has a right to demand that? Because God gave His absolute best for us. And God continues to give His absolute, absolute best and finest for us. So therefore, God is always required. What do we see in the Old Testament? God said, I want the first fruits. Did God say that? Give me the first fruits. God said, the firstborn is mine, right? The first, the finest. God says, that's mine. God has always wanted the unblemished sacrifice. The best that somebody had to give him. The absolute, why give that to God? Because God deserves it. That's why. God has always demanded that his people recognize, distinguish, and differentiate between the holy and the unholy. The clean and the unclean, the godly and the ungodly, especially those who minister before him in worship. God has always done that. That's a pattern of God. I got a whole bunch of references, but we'll move on. Somebody might say, well, wait a minute. God reads the heart. It's more about my spiritual heart attitude than my physical dress. And you know what? You're absolutely right. It is. 1 Samuel 16, 7, 1 Peter 3, 1 through 6, and others. It is more about our heart than our dress. Yes, it is. Could the Pharisees dress all up in their phylacteries and robes and have a rotten heart? Sure. But, didn't Jesus also tell us that what's inside a person is going to come out? Isn't our faith that's on the inside of us and the heart that we have after God reflected by the way that we carry ourselves, the way that we act, the things that we do, and the way we present ourselves before Him? Isn't what's on the inside somewhat visible by the way we present ourselves to God? Yes, it is. Doesn't what we have on the inside show and get reflected by the love and appreciation and adoration we have for God as well as the respect, reverence, and recognition of His sovereignty. If a person truly sees God as the Almighty God, isn't that going to show by the way they respond and prepare to worship Him? Let me change gears here for a minute. Let me take you to another front. Consider this. Daniel and his compatriots had to spend three years before they could get into the presence of an earthly king. Esther had to undergo a year of treatments. The Old Testament priests, as we read from Exodus at length, had to be properly prepared and adorned before entering into the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So, in that same way, let me, like I say, I've kind of shifted gears here, but in that same way that they had to prepare... Could it not be said that our entire life is nothing more than a time of preparation to enter into the eternal worship of heaven? Could that be said? Our life on earth is a time of preparation before we get to go and see face to face through the blood of Christ. We get to see the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and worship around His throne for all eternity. This life is that time of preparation right now. And so, speaking of that, Scripture says that we must be in a con constant and perpetual state of preparation. Well, how do we do that? Well, we do that 
by being clothed with and putting on what God tells us to get clothed with, just like those Old Testament priests, we must get clothed with and put on certain things if we're going to be prepared to meet the king and worship with him around his throne. Let me give you what some of those are. First off, in preparation for that great meeting up there, in preparation to be in the king's presence, we must, of course, put on or be clothed with Christ Jesus. Galatians 3, 26 and 7. We must continue our preparation by putting on the full armor of God. Ephesians 6, 10 through 18. Put on the full armor. That's part of our, our preparation and what we must adorn ourselves with to come into his presence. The Apostle Paul tells us what else we must continue to put on in preparation to come into his presence. He tells us that in Romans 13, verses 12 through 14, where Paul says, The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh. We must put on Christ. We must put on a Christ-like attitude. We're in a constant state of preparation. Scripture tells us that in several places. Ephesians 4, 22-24 says to put off concerning your former conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to deceitful lusts and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new man created in the image of God. So you see, our whole life is preparing to be in God's presence. Just like those priests had to prepare to be in God's presence. Turn with me, if you would, to Colossians 3. There's a fairly lengthy one here, but I want you to see this one more time from the book of Colossians. Colossians chapter 3 explains the same situation to us again, what we are to put on in preparation of that great day. Colossians 3 and verse 8 says, Beware. I'm sorry. Colossians 3, 8. But now you yourselves are to put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another, since you've put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, who is renewed in knowledge according to the image of him who created him, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised nor uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore is the elect of God, holy and beloved, put on tender mercies, kindness, humility, meekness, long-suffering, suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another. Are those qualities that we are putting on? Are we preparing by putting those on to meet God? Yes, we are. Not easy though, is it? That, all of the stuff that's listed there is not easy to do. It takes a lifetime to truly accomplish that kind of preparation, doesn't it? But here's the thing. Here's how this all ties together. Putting on all those things out of reverence for God begins with an understanding that there is absolutely nothing casual about our relationship with God. That's the key. Can we afford to take those qualities where God says, get prepared, say, when I get time, I'll consider it. Can we afford to do that? Yes or no? No. We can't be casual about our Christianity. We can't be casual, I'll, I'll forgive him 30 years from now maybe, but I ain't going to right now, or, or I'll you know, do this, or I'll, I'll stop stealing from that person. I'm not going to bother with all that. Ah, I don't need to worry about that. I tell you, let me go over here and do this. We cannot afford to be casual in our Christianity, but that's the key. We cannot afford to be casual in any facet of our Christianity. Do you know what 
Casual is. Casual is the first word in casualty. And casual Christianity, whether it is in word, deed, service, practice, worship, or preparation, is far less than what our God deserves. He deserves better than casual Christianity. And I don't care what the topic is. God deserves far more than casual Christianity. And He deserves even more than our absolute best. But you know what? All he asks for is our absolute best in all things, including worship. God deserves, God demands, and God requires the proper preparation and adoration and reverence and respect if our Sunday worship is to be acceptable to him. Do you remember what Jesus told the woman at the well in John 4, 23 and 24? God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. Do you remember that? For such are the kind of worshipers the Father is seeking. One application of that is that we must have the proper spirit. What does that mean? That means one application of that, we must have the proper spirit, is that we must have the proper reverence, respect, and adoration for God that he deserves. We must remember who we're dealing with and whose presence we have the privilege of being in when we come and sit in these pews. God deserves the proper preparation, adoration, reverence, and respect if our Sunday worship is to be acceptable to Him. God always has deserved it because He gave His absolute best for us. His one and only begotten, perfect and sinless Son. God said, I'll give you my absolute best. And even when it comes to something as simple as our outward attire, surely not our inward heart, but even something as simple as our outward attire, we cannot afford to be casual as we approach God. We can't. I have looked through my appointment book, and I see that on the first day of next week, you have another appointment with the king. I see here in the book that he's paid in full for you to have another priceless personal appointment with him. Do you know who you have an appointment with next Sunday? You have the privilege. Nobody can afford an appointment with him. But he has not only given you an appointment, he has paid the full price for your appointment next Sunday to meet with him on the first day of the week at 1020 to meet with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. To meet with the King of Glory, the Lord God Almighty. To meet with Him in His house, around His table. To be with Him. With His family. Please do not be late. Please come as properly, reverently, and respectfully prepared to worship and serve and enter into His holy presence at that time as you feel He truly deserves. Let's give God our best every day, but especially when He gives us the privilege of an appointment in His presence. Let us give Him our best, inside, outside, and upside down. Let us not let the world around us dictate to us that we can have a casual attitude, even in something as simple as the way we prepare and get dressed to come to worship service.
Because there's nothing casual about our relationship with God. The King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. The lesson is yours tonight. If there's anybody here who's not a member of the Lord's family, you got to be dressed in the right clothes, because if you ain't dressed in the right clothes, and I'm talking spiritually here, you won't get in like the man at the wedding feast. Jesus asked him, he said, how'd you get in here without wedding clothes on? And if we're not properly adorned with Christ, if we have not put on Christ in baptism, and if we have not put on those other attributes that I read about in Colossians, then we're not prepared. I beg you not to leave this place tonight unprepared, because God may call you tonight. Are you ready? Are you prepared to stand before a holy God? If you are not and you need to be baptized or you need the prayers of the church or anything else we can help you with, please come to the front as we stand and sing.